If you will, turn in your Bibles to 1 John 3, and we'll be focusing on 11 through 18. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at uh, living a balanced lifestyle in regards to being a Christian. And so we're going to look at what that means to uh, in every area of Christianity, every area of life, to make sure that we are balancing out the, the life that we lead, the focus that we have, the desires of our hearts, and, and the actions that come from those desires. And so we'll be looking at that. And today I wanted to start out by what I think is the most important thing that uh, we as Christians can do, and that, that is to love the family. And I'm not just talking about uh, the family that you've been entrusted with, uh, whether it be born into or married into. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the family of God, loving each other, caring for each other, um, and making sure that uh, God's love is seen uh, through your actions towards one another. Uh, I came across this illustration that uh, I thought uh, spoke to this pretty well. And, and the illustration goes that there's this woman who uh, had been out of church for a couple weeks and and she showed up on Sunday morning and she walked in and, and she was happy to be back in her routine. And, and there's this woman that normally didn't like her very much and, and never really had much to do with her. And, and in fact, was quite rude to her uh, often, just beelined for her, gave her a big hug and said, hey, we've missed you. So glad you're back. And she was confused by this. Uh, she was confused because that wasn't the action of this woman normally, and she didn't know how to handle it. But she went about her normal, uh, everyday worshiping experience. And at the end of the message, she got her answer to why that had happened. And so the pastor said, hey, I just want to remind you last week I said the same thing. But this week, can you do it as well? Find somebody who you can't stand and show them a little love. And so she realized that this woman was doing it um, with a little bit of a different motive. Uh, and I guess if she knew that the pastor was going to say that again, she may not have made that a priority that Sunday morning. Uh, but I think that that sometimes speaks to uh, the church, the people of God, and just um, how we relate to individuals on a daily basis, whether or not they're a Christian or not. Does love flow from your life? Does love flow from your life? Now, uh, I don't know about you. I was raised in a church and and uh, ever since uh, I was a, a little kid, I, I joke often that nine months before I was born, I was going to a, a Southern Baptist church. But the thing that I know about churches is that a lot of times there can be disunity within the church body. A lot of times there can be a lack of love within the church body, and that flows out into the world. If we have a lack of love for those who uh, agree with us biblically, if we have a lack of love for those who stand with us biblically, then how much more so are we going to lack that love for those who uh, are against us 
in regards to biblical standards and, and the way we're supposed to uh, live our life. Uh, growing up, uh, we always talked about business meetings. And if you've been in church long enough, you, you probably have a business meeting story where it didn't end too well and there was um, anger and talking about one another. And, and that was happening within the church body. That was happening within uh, the family. Now, hey, we're, we're allowed to disagree. And one of the things that I've said from the moment I got here, whether it be in a deacon's meeting or a business meeting, is, hey, disagree with one another. But the moment you leave here, that's over. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to bring it back up. Why? Because we don't need to take our family business out into the world. And, and why is that the case? Because we hear it all the time. We've been caught up in doing it. You, you have somebody you want to talk about or you want to listen to somebody talk about somebody. And the world is watching us. And so they're seeing how we treat one another. They're seeing how we respond to one another. And so they love to hear those stories of disunity. They love to hear those stories where church people aren't getting along and Christians aren't getting along because that just gives them a reason not to be a part of the body of Christ. That gives them a reason not to go to church. And, and we don't want to be that reason. We don't want to be the, the reason why somebody walks away from God. Uh, you know, I, I've said to people I am in communication with that I honestly believe that a lot of people that walk into the door of the church who are seeking a church come with the attitude that I'm looking for a reason not to come back. I'm looking for a reason not to make this an every week a part of my life. And so they walk in and most of the time the church does a really good job of giving them a reason. Whether it's, you know, somebody walking up to them and saying, hey, uh, I know you're new, but you're sitting in my seat. Or somebody, uh, nobody greets them as they walk in the door during the welcome time. They're stuck alone and nobody says anything to them. There's this lack of love that draws them away from the very one who is the definition of love. And so if God is the definition of love and, and what he showed us through Jesus is the definition of love and sacrifice for your fellow man, even your enemies, then shouldn't his people, shouldn't his church, shouldn't those who claim him as Lord resemble that? Shouldn't that be something that flows from them that people see and are, are like, man, I can define who God is based on the people who say they know them or say they know him. Unfortunately, that's not the case in many churches. And I'm not speaking about all churches. There are some great churches. I'm not speaking about all Christians. There are some great people who love God and love others. But there are also some churches that miss the memo that love is a priority. And there are some Christians who miss the memo that love is a priority. You know, the scripture tells us faith, hope, and love are, are the greatest. But even greater so, it singles out what? Love. Love is a priority. Why? Because God is love. 
what Jesus did for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, that is the very definition of love, a sacrifice when we didn't deserve it. And that's the thing is, it's very easy to love somebody who deserves it. It's very easy to love somebody when we get something in return. I mean, think about, you know, your relationships. Think about your marriage relationships or your parenting relationships or the relationship you have with your, your parents. And it's very easy to show love to them when you are getting something. But how, how much more difficult is it to show love when that's not occurring? And that's when love needs to be shown. And that's when God's love needs to be expressed because God tells us that Christ died for us, but he doesn't say Christ died for you when you liked him or Christ died for you when you were doing everything according to his will. It says while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While you were still sinners, Christ gave his life for you with the understanding that even though he gave his life for you, you may never accept it. You may never fall in love with him, but yet he still did it anyway. He still did it anyway. You know, there's the story of the, the 12 lepers that he healed and, and one stays behind to thank him and the other 11 don't. The thing that we understand about the story is it never once says that the other 11 became lepers again because they didn't thank God. No. His love for them, the change that he desired for them, was not there only when Thanksgiving was giving. And so love exists no matter how we're treated by other people. You know, we don't love based on the way people love us. We love in spite of the reason people show us or what people show us. And so the scripture in 1 John 3, 11 through 18 speaks to this. And it says, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so this is the message that, that takes priority, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So last Wednesday, I talked about this. As long as we live here on this world... On this earth, we're going to encounter hatred. It's not going to go away tomorrow, and it will probably never go away. There will be hatred for one another. There will be hatred for that which is good and that which is righteous, because the world stands in contrast from God. And so it says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have not passed out of death into life because we love the brethren he who does not love abides in death. And so it's saying, hey, those who are of Christ love one another. Those who don't love resemble that there's no new life within them. 
that there's no new life within them. And, and so we get a picture of this multiple times in Scripture where it says love is an identifying factor of your new life in Christ. Because Christ is love, if you don't have love, then Christ doesn't dwell among you. So everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so that's what I want to look at today. It's very easy to say, I love, I love, I love. It's very difficult to put that in practice. And so if we were just accounted for by our words, then maybe we would be much further along than we actually are. If we could just say, hey, no, I love these people or I love the world, then maybe people would take it at face value and we'd be OK. But our actions have to follow that. There actually has to be sincerity to or actions related to the words that we say. And so the first thing that we need to see is why do we love? We love biblically or biblical love seeks the highest goal for others. What is the highest goal for others? A good job, a successful marriage, having kids that make them look good. No, the highest goal for all people is a relationship with Jesus. And so we love non-Christians in order to bring them to a relationship with Christ. And we continue to love brothers and sisters to encourage them and draw them closer in their relationship with Christ. And so our love for people does not stop with the sinner. We don't sit there and say, okay, you know, the church doesn't have to love one another because our goal is to love the sinner. No, our goal is to love all people. Why? We love the sinner in order to bring them into a relationship with God. Then we love each other for two reasons. To grow in our relationship to God. And two, because the sinner's watching. The world's watching. And so the world is watching you and I looking for any blemish. Looking for any reason why they don't accept what we're offering. And so if we're unable to get along, but yet you see them in their everyday lifestyle get along just fine with their group of friends, why would they ever want to be a part of what we're offering? Why would they ever want to be a part of the, the church if they're accepted more and loved more in their community or their group of people that is outside the will of God or outside the church. And so we have to be very careful about that. Why does God love people? Because he wants a relationship with people. Why do we love people? Because God loved them first and he wants a relationship with people. And, and so that's why we love. 
ultimately our our love language or our life related to love is to show the grace and mercy of God to people to introduce them to a relationship with the one who desires relationship with them. So why did God send Jesus to have relationship with people? Why did God create the garden and Adam and Eve to have relationship with people? So why do we love our community? Because God wants relationship with people. Why do we love the church? Because he wants to strengthen and grow in relationship with people. And so if we're not doing that, think about that church. If we're not loving one another, then what are we focused on? We're focused on earthly relationships greater than heavenly relationships. You know, that illustration that I said earlier, you know, how much of the sermon do you think that individual got because she was thinking about that woman who hugged her? No, her focus was on an earthly relationship or a bad earthly relationship more so than how do I build this vertical relationship? How do I build this relationship with God? And so how many times have you come to church and had a problem with somebody in church that you're going through all the the motions of, hey, man, I love Jesus. I'm here to worship Jesus. But in your mind, all you're doing is thinking about the person sitting four rows back of you. All you're doing is thinking about how they've offended you or how you've offended them and they're mad at you. And so you walk out of that room and, you know, everybody's like, man, that sermon was great. And you were like, what sermon? Because you didn't hear a word that was said. Because all you were thinking about was that broken relationship that was within the body of believers. That is a terrible place to be because we think that we have it all together. We think that we're good vertically. But until we get a good with the people here, it's going to be very hard to get straight with God. Love done right is a commandment from Jesus. So it's not a suggestion. He doesn't sit there and say, hey, if you love me, you might think about loving others. No, he says the two greatest commandments are what? Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Everything else falls under those commandments. And so he's not just saying that everything else is below those commandments. He's saying that every other commandment comes from those commandments. Every other, I mean, without those first two, none of the other ones exist. And so why do you not commit murder? Because you love people. Why do you not commit adultery? Because you love people. Why do you not steal from other individuals? Because you love people. And so everything else falls under those two, ultimately the one, loving God. Jesus instructed his followers to love one another. To love one another. That is the fundamental practice of Christianity. Jesus gives the world permission to judge whether or not we as Christians are loving each other. He gives them permission to watch us and to judge us on whether or not we are loving one another. Why? Because he knows 
that they're going to do it anyway. And it's supposed to hold us accountable to desire for them to see love and not disunity. The Greek writer Lucian wrote this. He said this about the early church. It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Jesus has put it into their heads that they are all brothers and sisters. Another church father said this, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in each other's eyes and our opponent's eyes about who we are. Now let me ask you this, is that what we're defined as by the church, I mean by other people, by the world? Do they look at us and they say, man, they are known for their love. They are loved for how they care for one another and how they care for the community and how they care for people they come in contact with. Over and over in scripture, God reiterates, love one another, love one another, love your enemy, love one another, love the body of Christ, love those outside the body of Christ. Why? Because you are an example of him. You are an example of him. And so this comes to a point that I made earlier. Love is proof of life. It is a tattoo or it is a stamp on your life that says, I'm a Christian. If you have not love, then guess what? You may want to step back and ask, do I have Jesus? Do I have a relationship with the one who is love? Now, you may never have perfect love. You may never have love like Jesus loved. But if there is no love or love only based on situations or circumstances, then that's worldly love. That's worldly love. And so often we, we get into that worldly love even within the church or even within our relationships. One of the first conversations I have when I do pre-marriage counseling is we talk about expectations. And we, very, we sit there and we say, you need to talk to your future spouse about your expectations on all things. Your physical relationship, your expectation of kids, who's going to do the dishes, all these things. Expectations. Why? Because there's going to come a day where your expectations aren't going to be met and what's going to happen? Anger. Well, if you didn't express your expectations, then how do they know what your expectations are? And so we need to express that to one another. But love should not be based on expectations. So my love for my wife or my children should not be based on expectations that I have for them. And so when one of my children comes to me and says, you know what? Uh, here's my report card, and I look at it, and it doesn't look very well. 
I should not say, well, for the next nine weeks, I don't love you. Until you get all A's, you're going to have to earn that love back. No. I remember as a kid, what did my dad say? Did you do your best? Did you do your best? And if your best is a C, that's great. Awesome. Love you in spite of it. Love you in spite of it. Avery, just so you know, your best isn't a C. (laughs) So love is proof of life. Jesus is the ultimate example of love. And so what does it say about that? We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. It's talking about Jesus. He laid down his life for us. While we are still sinners, he sacrificed so that we could have life. But it doesn't end there. It says, and then we ought to lay down our life for others. We ought to lay down our life for others. It says for our brethren, those who are in Christ, but we ought to also be willing to lay down our life for those who are not in Christ so that they can see Christ. If you want to be a portrait of love, if you want to portray love in every aspect of your life, look at the life of Jesus. See what he did. Follow in his footsteps. He was an illustration of love. Jesus never showed hatred or malice to other people, even though he was encountered every day by people who were against him. The only time he ever got angry was in the face of injustice, but that was always motivated by love for his people because they were treated disrespectfully. He went out of his way to help even those who his fellow Jewish people despised. He crossed racial, cultural, geographic barriers to care for people. When he illustrates the love of people, the love of neighbor, he uses an enemy of the Jews to do so. To talk about how the Samaritans showed love when the others didn't. He crossed all lines to show that love was universal. But ultimately, his greatest expression was what he did on the cross. So his life is a reflection of how we should love each other and what we should be willing to sacrifice in order to love him. And so what does love look like? Love is personal and love is practical. It says that in the last Um, verses but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him how does the love of God abide in him little children let us not love with word or tongue only but in deed and in truth and so it's telling you hey if you have something and somebody's in need and you turn a blind eye to them What are you doing? What are you doing? Are you showing love? Let's not only say that we love, but let's show it. And so what does this mean personally? Personally, what does it mean? 
G.P. Lewis said this, it is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with the capital H. Far more so than it is to love an individual man or woman. So it's very easy to say, I love all people. Cut and dry. I love all people. But then to be faced with somebody in person and have to love them is far more difficult. It's very easy for me to say, man, I love the church. As the pastor, I love the church. But it's also easy for me to say, but there's some of you I don't like. Why? Because it's a lot harder to love individuals than it is to say that we love everybody. And so as Christians, that's what we do. We say, hey, we love all people. But does your life reflect that? Does it look that way on an individual basis? Or do you avoid those circumstances because you don't want to be challenged to go out of what you know is going to happen? Listen. The, the world's rooting you along. And there's other people within the church that will look at you and say, you have every reason not to love so-and-so. You have every reason to be mad or angry or do this or that. You have every reason. And the world's like, yep. It's the only time you'll get an amen. Amen. You have every reason. And then you look at scripture and scripture basically says, and you may have every reason, but let me give you the one reason you're wrong. Jesus. And then you have to step back and say, man, do I really care if I'm right to do this? Or do I care more about whether or not I'm right with him? And I'm walking in him. And my life reflects him. And so love is supposed to be personal. You can't just put a capital H on it or a capital P for people on it. You have to love individuals. And that's extremely hard. Because people are messy. And love is messy. And when you get past this church and you go even further into the world, you're going to have to get into situations that you thought you would never get into and still show love and still show Christ. And then it's practical. The illustration that's given here is if someone has a need, you, you give it to them. If they need to be clothed, you clothe them. If they need to be fed, you feed them. It's practical. And so that's what love is. Love is not just a big grand gesture. It's practical living. You don't just say, you know, it's, it's that old illustration of somebody comes to you and says, man, I have this need. You know, we need to pay our utilities. And you as a Christian say, I'll pray for you. And you walk into your house and 
and you're looking at your bank account and you have extra resources and you get on your knees and you pray, man, God, please provide somebody for that person. And God's sitting there saying with a big sign pointing to you, I did and all you said you were going to do was pray. Why not reach into your bank account and practically show it? Practically show it. Practical love is hard. It requires sacrifices. But what does the Bible say? It says, hey, Christ as an example sacrifice for others. You too should sacrifice for others. And so as we close, I just want to encourage you to love one another, not in word or in just proclamation, but in action and deed. To let your life reflect Christ. Let your life resemble Christ. Let, let everything that you do point to him. If you want the church to, to be different and you want the church to look different, then look like Christ. If you study scripture and you say, man, why did this early church in Acts, why did it grow so rapidly for the glory of God? And then you, you dig into what it says in Acts 2 and it says, man, all of them were together and nobody was wanting. They met each other's needs. They had love for God. They had love for each other. And then you're sitting there saying, man, again, I wonder why our church isn't growing. It's personal, it's practical, it's getting dirty, it's love. And if you don't have love, man, step back and, and evaluate your heart. Evaluate where you're at because the world is hate. God is love. And so let me encourage you to do that. Evaluate where you're at this week. Evaluate your love for one another and what that practically looks like what that personally looks like and ask yourself are you showing it are you revealing Jesus to others in your actions not just in your words there's that old saying of you need to share the gospel in everything you do and sometimes speak your actions need to show Christ your behaviors need to show Christ. The church needs to show Christ where people are drawn to it. Are people drawn to us? Do we love them in a way that they want to be a part of what we're doing? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to find out what that means, what that looks like. Contact me at the church. Come and talk to me. Talk to somebody you know has a relationship with him. But for those who are in Christ, let's get the love part right. God, we love you. We thank you for bringing us here this morning. I pray that our life reflects you, our heart reflects you. Lord, I pray that we just see you in all things and show you in all ways to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, let us worship together. And then at the end of the song, uh, Cullen will close us in prayer. Again, you can join us this Wednesday in in-person worship or 
on Facebook at 6.30 Wednesday. Thank you for being a part of worship this morning.